With entries now closed for round two of the English Easter sale, a recent announcement by the New South Wales Health Minister couldn't be more timely. The government's commitment to relax restrictions on gatherings in public should be in place in time for Easter round two to be held on Sunday the 5th of July. If all goes according to plan, 100 people will be allowed inside the Riverside Auditorium with another 500 in the spacious area outside. The sale will cater for horses who were not entered for Easter Round 1 or those passed in during that online auction. And supplementary entries will strengthen the catalogue even further. Although the recent online auctions produced some stunning results, vendors and buyers will be anxious to return to the exciting atmosphere of the Riverside Sale Ring. When the eight-time Group 1 winner Intergaze was retired to stud in the year 2000, his regular jockey Craig Carmody had to weigh up his options. Did he stay in Sydney where opportunities would be limited, or did he accept a tempting offer to ride under retainer in Singapore, where the new state-of-the-art Cranji racecourse had just opened and had given local racing a shot in the arm. Craig opted for the latter and was destined to spend the last four years of his riding career in Singapore. He rode winners consistently, he snared a prestigious Group 1 win and on one occasion he rode four winners on a Cranji program. He was in his late thirties when he finally returned to Sydney, where a powerful group of jockeys was dominating. Craig quit the saddle, applied for his trainer's licence and was lucky enough to acquire stables on Randwick Racecourse. It's been a tough 15 years. He hasn't had access to affluent owners and has had to work with cast-offs, rejects and yearlings in the thirty dollars to $40,000 price range. He's done very well to deliver optimum performance from a number of these low-profile horses. He's as keen as ever with a team of 10 in work, chipping away, doing his best, waiting for his own intergaze to walk through the gate. I'm delighted to welcome a very old friend to the podcast, 11-time Group 1 winning jockey and dedicated Randwick trainer, Craig Carmody. I'll call you Beeper first up and I'll explain why later in the interview. G'day, John. Lovely to be with you, mate. Pleasure to be on your show. Craig, you got back to Sydney in 2005 and you couldn't see much sense in continuing your riding career in the toughest of environments. That's it, John. I'd, I'd just about had enough of the riding by then. My body was telling me that, uh, you know, it was coming to an end. I just had you know, I had lower back issues that were sort of gnawing away at me. Um, and I just felt that it was time while I was young enough and enthusiastic enough to turn my hand at, at training. I still wanted to be involved with the horses and felt as, as though the, the experience I had riding for so many great trainers, um, you know, I'd like to have a go at it myself. So, um, look, very, as you mentioned in your intro, very challenging. Um but I was lucky enough to get some support those early years from uh, an, a very affluent owner from Singapore who was supporting me through those years up there. Mm. And he um, he bought me a few horses to kick off with, and I'm forever grateful for those years that he supported me. 
Nowadays, Craig, there's a waiting list one mile long uh, for trainers seeking stables at Randwick. It's much tougher now than it was in 2005. Definitely, John. Um, And, uh, look, I've got to thank – I had a – through my riding years, I had a fantastic relationship with Tony King Mm. uh, from back then the AJC. Mm. And uh, when I come back from Singapore, I – I, I called Tony and explained that, you know, I'd really love to get some boxes at Ramwick and he told me of the difficulties, but, um, mate, I think he had a fair bit to do with me gaining a licence there. Do you? Yep. Yep. In recent years, you've been keeping your small team in the complex operated by Les Bridge, who's been a great friend to you for many, many years. You rode many winners for him and nowadays you've got the benefit of his expertise whenever you need it. Uh, John, look, first of all, through my riding years, I, I, I was having a look at some statistics on racing and sports just while we are leading into this interview, mm. and uh, much to my surprise, I saw that I've had the most rides, I had the most rides for Les than any other trainer. Goodness me. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, 271 rides I had for Les throughout yeah. my career, mm. um, and, and it spanned as early as, you know, my apprentice years when I was claiming three kilos. I rode my first winner for Les at Randwick on a horse called Spring Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been it would have been 1986, 87. Yeah. Um, and, and from then on, uh, you know, I was riding work regularly at Randwick. Uh, my boss, Rod, allowed me to travel out to Randwick and ride for Les and, mm-hmm. in those years and um, it, it opened a lot of doors back then. But Les, Les has been inspirational in that way and his support um, not only as a jockey but since I've trained, started training, uh, the support there that he's given me and the advice and just watching how he does things has been uh, invaluable and I'm very grateful to him. For a trainer who doesn't have the luxury of training fillies for the major studs or the benefit of unlimited funds at the yearling sales, it's really a matter of sifting through the catalogue for something in your price range that just might do the job. Absolutely, John. It's a it's a it's a, a tiresome ch- task, um, and you've got to be very fortunate and, and lucky to snag something that really has a motor around, uh, you know, of the price tag of twenty grand, thirty grand. But when mm. I started, that's what I was faced with. Yeah. Um, and I, look, strange thing. If you treat them well and and look after them, the twenty grand rough diamond can can mm. turn into a capable racehorse. As I've mm. learned. Well, there's one good example. What about a horse called Single? Six wins, nine placings, almost four hundred thousand dollars. Four of those wins were at Rose Hill, including a listed race. What did you pay for him? He was a cheapie. Yeah, he was a twenty-five grand buy. John at the at the Easter sales, High Chaparral uh, had had only two year olds on the ground at that time, so they hadn't hadn't really hit the ground running. They they usually take twelve months to come good. Um, so I bought him relatively cheap. Uh, he was out of a decent decent international family, um, big rangy, long striding horse with with a high high, you know, it, it was. Highly strung temperament. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Took a bit of time to settle him down, but um, he always had that stride on him, John. And um, 
the original syndicate that bought him, um, there was a that needed to be a dissolve of the partnership not long before I, I raced him. Mm. And and uh, at the time, Jeff and Mary Grimish had given me a couple of horses to train and I explained that I was about to lose a promising two-year-old. Mm. And so uh, Jeff very kindly supported me and said, mate, if you like him, let's go and buy him back. Mm. So he had to go under the hammer at William Inglis and Son and um, we ended up buying him back for – Sixty thousand um, dollars, mm. because he, he he was looking the part at the time, and the high chaparrals had started to do do reasonably well. Mm. So, um, but you know, I felt that he was worth the sixty grand, and um, we put a syndicate together largely due to Jeff. And uh, yeah, we had a great great bit of fun with him. A filly called Average is a good story. You bought her for twenty thousand dollars at an English Classic sale. Uh, you sold her on as a three-year-old at a Gold Coast broodmare sale, and Jerry Harvey bought her for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What happened after that? Well, um, I, I went straight up to Jerry after he'd bought it, and I explained, you know, that she she was a temperamental horse mentally, and that you know um, I'd love the opportunity to keep her going. Mm. Um, and mate, to his credit, he gave me the horse back. To train, um, unfortunately, um, John, she was a real running two-year-old that that just um, really left left all that energy in those in that two-year-old year, and mm. it really didn't go on. Yeah. Um, and subsequently, he put it to stud and done very well with it. By the way, he he put it to fast net rock, and um, she ended up. I think they ended up selling the first foal as a weanling for about 450000 so I was delighted he got a result out of her. Mm. You named her after the legendary Dame Edna. Mate, John, I've been a fan of Barry Humphrey's comical wit for, for years <laughs> and um, and uh, I've seen him a couple of times on, on the uh, the stage and he's, he's, he's just a brilliant man, so... Um, I thought, you know what, I'll repay a little bit of the enjoyment that I've had from mm. watching Barry Humphreys perform and name the horse Everage, and mm. she done us proud. I wonder if he, he realised uh, the filly was named after him. I don't know. I no. don't think he did. I don't think he did. No. No, no. But now, maybe maybe, maybe he'll, he'll uh, listen to this podcast. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he does. Now, Craig, I remember... One agonising experience you had early in your training career, this was unfair. A gelding called No Respite gave you your first Metropolitan training win with a victory at Randwick in 2009. I don't think you were too worried when the rider of the second horse bunged in a protest, but 20 minutes later you were worried. Oh, John, that was that was a mixed day of emotions, let me tell you. Um, I... An old neighbour friend of mine, Jack Hanson, who who by the way raced Mary Ruler with Paul mm. Sutherland back in those years. Yeah. Um. He he bought me no respite, and um, to to win a race for Jack, <laughs> it just sent all the emotions very high, and then all of a sudden, as you say, it was taken away. Um. So, it 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 wasn't a great day, but um. No respite was a handy, handy type horse. He ended up uh, going up to Singapore and racing successfully. You were tickled pink to win some races, four in total, 
with a filly called Lady Sansa who had a big ownership group and one of those owners was Carol Russell, wife of the late Ken Russell, who was one of your closest mates among fellow jockeys of your era. Oh, John, he was. We we first got to really know one another when I was riding for Brian Mayfield Smith in mm. or oh, would have been 89, 90. Yep. And um, I was the number two jockey there after I'd come out of my time. And Ken and I just got on really well together and uh, there was always a sense of humour around Ken, which I which I really enjoyed. And, um, mate, to, to see what happened uh, tragically with Ken uh, was, mate, just a, just a, probably one of the saddest days I've spent in racing. You've won many races at provincial and country tracks since becoming a trainer and you quickly assess where a horse can win, you're happy to travel and you like to be there yourself if at all possible. I do, John. I like to get there. Um, I, you know, when, when time permits, I, I, I certainly like to have a look at the track too um, and see how it's playing, see how it is underfoot. Um, if there's a preference to being out or in, I like to um, get to the bottom of that before I have uh, a chat with the jockey and, um, yeah, just try and try and be prudent in those areas because sometimes it can make a difference. You've dabbled in bloodstock trading over the years, as, as we've already <laughs> mentioned, buying and selling the odd horse, and you tell one good story about a written tycoon filly you picked up in Victoria for forty thousand dollars before written tycoon had made his mark. Yeah, John, I, I I was familiar with the family after having a a, a fairly talented two-year-old out of the same mare, mm. um, which set me on an interest of that family, and I noticed that there was one being sold in an obscure mid mid-year sale down in Melbourne. Mm. So uh, without any X-rays, I took the gamble on it and um, bought it for forty thousand. Uh, which was a bit of money, but um, she turned out to be a horse called Written. And mm. um, Written, uh, I educated her here in Sydney, and then uh, once once I did that, I sent her down to Mick Kent, who mm. trained down there at Camborne, Cranbourne, mm-hmm. and uh, she ended up winning uh, seven races, uh, five of them in town, and she accrued oh, close to $400,000. dollars mm. Um, and we're talking about how, you know, 30 grand, 40 grand horse was available way back when I started training. But nowadays, John, those sort of horses cost 100000 or more. That's right. So, so um, you know, in the last couple of years, I've had a little gamble on uh, on the breeding side of it. Les has always said, you're mad going into breeding. <laughs> <laughs> he's, prob- he's probably right. Mm. But um, in the end, uh, I just – Thought it was worth the gamble. I had a couple of partners in written, so um, we have a two-year-old out of her now. The first one, yeah, Latin uh, lyric, Latin lyric. You like and, her too, uh, don't you? I do like her, John. Yeah, mm. she's had one start in a fairly fairly strong two-year-old filly's maiden at Warwick Farm last time in mm. when she pulled up a bit shinny. Uh, but uh, Jeff and Mary Grimish Grimish have um, supported me in this venture, and uh, let's let's hope and. I've uh, got a number of other owners in the horse too, mm-hmm. so uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a bit of luck. And you've got prep. a yearling filly out of a two by counter-attack. I do, John, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff was pretty keen to put it a counter-attack because he stood up 
up at the Hunter um, there for one season that she was ready to be served. So we thought, you know what, we'll give it a go. And it's a, a, a very nice-looking filly. So looking forward to her coming into the barn. Mm. Craig, a lady called Kim Harding is a very passionate owner and breeder and an occasional yearling buyer. Kim's been racing horses in Sydney for many years with Les Bridge as her regular trainer, but she's currently lending support to the Carmody Stable. Mate, I'm very grateful to to Kim for her support uh, and for Les for that matter. We've spoken about Les's support, but the pair of them um, have have helped me a lot over the last few years in in giving me a little little bit of a go, uh, which I'm really appreciative of. Um, and we've we've got quite a number of horses in. I've probably got about uh, 10, 10 to twelve horses for Kim now, and um, yeah, there's a couple of nice ones coming through. So. Um, looking forward to the next few years of having a bit of fun with Kim and her owners. Kim, of course, um, likes to promote and support the female jockeys. I've noticed uh, the girls ride quite a number of your runners and obviously anything that Kim owns in future is likely to be uh, written by one of the more prominent female riders. Yes, uh, that's true. When she, when Kim first gave me the horses, she said, look, um, I love to support the females um, in 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 all aspects of life, and um, this this um, this racing venture. When when we have the opportunity to put a good female jockey on, I'd like to support that. Um, she's very open minded to put the boys on too. She, mm. um, so where we can, we you know we try to find the best jockey to um, to ride our horses, whether it be male or female. But um, I'm having a bit of luck with. I had C.J. Graham win a race for us um, at Wyong a couple of w- couple of weeks ago, mm. um, which was a good thrill for us. So, um, yeah, vastly yeah. improved girl, isn't she, C.J.? She's riding well. Um, you know, she's she's gone from strength to strength since she's been with Peter Snowden, and um, she's getting some more opportunities now. So, mm. hopefully, she can um, she can continue. And who are some of the others, Craig? Winona Coston has had a bit of success on your horses, mate. I've I've had a long association with Winona. She was riding single as a three-kilo apprentice back when I had him. Mm. Um, I've always always used her when when the time has been right, mm. um, and and will continue to use Winona. Um, she's a she's a bubbly personality, and she's um, she can definitely ride. Mm. Um, um, also, Kathy O'Hara won on single. I like using Kathy mm. um, when, when we can. So yeah, looking looking forward to it. Um, going forward. Now, ex-jockeys who become trainers are either easy to ride for or absolute ogres. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are understanding of the things that can go wrong or frustrated because the horse wasn't ridden the way they would have ridden it. <laughs> which, way, which way do you lean? Uh, look, John, I'm pretty sympathetic. Um, having having ridden many many poor races myself, I know the <laughs> I know the feeling, um, and I'm fairly understanding when it comes to that. Although um, when we have a, a distinct plan in place, and um, you know, it you know it, it might miss the kick, or there be a legitimate a legitimate ex- excuse. Well, mm. you've got to wear that, mate. You've got to wear that, but. Um, Normally, normally, mate, I'm very relaxed about it, and um, I take it on the chin how it unfolds. But um, 
yeah, it's nice to get it all right on the right day. Mm. Craig, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in just a moment. You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realise that the Tab Highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the Tab Highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways, but now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The Tab Highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. Special guest is Craig Carmody. You're still riding plenty of fast work and enjoying it. Must be good for you mentally and physically. Oh, absolutely, John. And um, to add to that, uh, it gives me a real handle on on the horse's ability level and how they're how they're handling the training regime. And um, together with watching how they're eating and feeling them on the track, I don't think there's a better way in which to judge how your horse is going. So um, you know, in that case. Uh, you know, I feel quite lucky and I'll, I'll continue to ride for as long as I'm physically able. You'd been to Singapore for two short stints before your final four-year stay. You first put your toe in the water in 1997 when Intergaze was outspelling and then your second trip was at the request of David Balfour, who'd been a good jockey in Adelaide, he'd been a good trainer in Adelaide but he had an opportunity to train in Singapore. He got in touch with you. He got in touch with me, John, and um, he he uh, he got an owner uh, up in Singapore who who uh, put me on a retainer to ride up there for three months. Um, and I went up there full of enthusiasm. And uh, look, it was quite he was quite a demanding uh, person. Mm. Um, I enjoyed it, but it, it just I could see that it wasn't going to work out. But um, in that three months, I was I was riding for various trainers, and um, you know, uh, one one of which uh, Mick Kent, who um, as we spoke about had average, he he was training up there at the time, and um, I think he's seen something reliable in me, I guess, um, mm. because he he steered me into a fairly solid fa- uh, foundation job up there for a, a very prominent Asian American, Jerry Song. Mm. who'd been racing horses up there for 20 or 30 years. Um, and he had about 20 horses in work at the time with with um, Don Birchiger, um, who formerly raced, uh, trained out of Victoria. Mm. And so um, I, I started riding for Donnie back then, and um, uh, we, we had a lot of luck together over the following three years that I was there. Mm. Don uh, used to train out of the old Epsom. Uh, training complex, which gave way to uh, the developers quite a few years ago. Now, I think he went to Singapore not long after that, Craig, and he's still there, isn't he? No, he's retired now. He's retired now, John. His son took over the stable uh, going back a few years ago now. Mm. 
Um, but, um, mate, we still keep in regular contact. Don and I lives down in Melbourne. The only thing I've got against him, mate, he's a Collingwood fan. Oh, is he? And, yeah. yeah, he's a mad Collingwood fan, but uh, we won't hold that against him. <laughs> Your <laughs> wife, Kelleen, is Singaporean by birth. She worked originally in the hospitality industry based at the legendary Raffles Hotel. And going to and from work each day, she would drive past the new and very spectacular Cranji Racecourse. One day, she called into the office of the Singapore Turf Club. Why did she do that? Well, first of all, mate, it would have taken a bit of guts to do. Um, um, you know, her family probably were against it. Yeah. Uh, but her, I reckon she would have got off that MRT train mm. with the sheer love of the animal mm. uh, because because that's notable. She, Colleen still works with me at, at the track and she's a valuable part of my little team mm. um, and she's, she's another set of eyes for me and she doesn't miss a trick. But I think back in those years, yeah, the love of the animal had captivated her and she, she got off and would have taken a bit of courage to, to do that and she went into the offices and asked how she could become involved and um, they – put her on to um, a, a local trainer by the name of Charles Leck at the time, mm. and uh, she developed her skills enough to start riding track work. And um, it was back in oh, it was in 2003 that I would have went back for my, my second stint, mm. or my third stint, sorry. Yeah. Um, third stint, and um, I met Colin then. And, mm. uh, yeah, we're, we've been together since. We've been together been married now for 15 years mm -hmm. and um we we have two beautiful children i've got mandy who's 11 and liam nine mm -hmm. and uh yeah we're we're living the dream mate got our horses and got our beautiful kids and um mm -hmm. as you say looking for that intergaze now <laughs> cap it all off now uh mandy and liam impressed by the fact that their father rode 11 group one winners um, I'm not sure whether they have a real understanding of what a Group 1 winner is yet. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think they, they will for sure. They both enjoy the horses because um, through, through having to come to the odd uh, Sunday afternoon shift and, and mosey around, and, and we got them on a broom already, John. Um, they, they, they come and uh, they've taken a real shine to the animal itself, so uh, I'm sure it's going to lend itself to an interest down the track. You live at San Susie, which is right in St George Territory, and I think the kids are pretty keen Dragons fans. Mate, we're all Dragons fans. I think I've been been the catalyst that have got that going. Mm. Uh, we're, we're members at Congress, so like everyone else, we've been, been uh, itching for the NRL to get back so we can at least watch it on the telly, but um, mm. yeah, we're big NRL fans of the Dragons, and um, I don't know whether it'll be any time soon where we're seeing them lift a trophy again. But mate, we'll stick at it. <laughs> you say, <laughs> you say, Colleen goes to the stables with you every day and is a full-time member of the staff. What yep. are what are her duties? Uh, she's on the ground, John. She yep. handles um, all those incidental things. Uh, she helps a lot with the ulcer pace and. Uh, you know, uh, bandaging of a leg or, you know, a nick and a cut, um, temperatures, um, just the overall well-being of the animal, 
uh, when we come back from the riding, she'll oversee the uh, cooling off and, and going on the walker and getting back into the stable and being rugged and all those type of things that, mm. that need to be done. And she's, um, she's a great asset. Somebody's got to do it and she does it well. Yep, she does and does it, does it with a passion. Now, part one of this interview has just come to a close. It's been all about phase one of your life in racing and brings us right up to date with where you are today. Phase one embraced 20 years as a jockey, which brought you close to 1,000 winners and a trip to the stratosphere with a once-in-a-lifetime horse called Intergaze. We'll be back with Craig Carmody for segment two after this. 